my family recently went from being a cat-only family to adding a puppy to the mix, and it has really shaken some things up, not just because puppies are a lot more work than cats, but because Bruce wants to be with us more than when he is hungry and thirsty. In fact, he wants to be with us all the time. He is right there with us no matter what. He's doing everything in his power to live up to the statement that a dog is man's best friend. Have you ever thought about that statement? The dog is man's best friend. It speaks very well of the dog and really very poorly of us, doesn't it? It's sad because oftentimes a dog can upstage a human in the friendship department, which would be sad everywhere, but it should be impossible here. One of our desires is that that youth group wouldn't just be a place that you show up for an hour and a half once a week, but that out of this community, real friendships would be birthed that put a dog's love and loyalty to shame. And so tonight, we're going to look at the type of friendship that should come from our Christian community. And from our text, we're going to look at the nature of friendships, the necessity of friendships, and how do you find these friendships? But we really have to start with the nature of friendships because the way we define friendship is very different than the way the Bible would. Uh, Our modern use of friend has really lowered the bar. Uh, Take, for example, how Facebook uses the term friend. You can be friends with someone that you have never met, and um, over the course of your friendship with that person, you might never interact with them. And so friend simply means someone that I might be loosely connected to. Or I I knew someone who used friend to describe literally everyone. So we would be talking about potato chips. And he'd be like, hey, did you know I have a good friend who works for Shears Potato Chips? Or we'd be talking about Google for some reason. He'd be like, do you know I have a really good friend who's an intern at Google? And, And so everyone was his friend, which meant that friend meant nothing. It was just people he knew, people that he had interacted with at some point. And so what we need to do is recapture a a definition of friend and friendship. And and as I've, I've mulled over it this week, that's a really hard thing to do. And that's because friendship is really like a a matrix. It's like a layered pyramid. And and so there's, we're going to look at three layers to friendship. And, And the point is you need all three but I want you to understand the difference between them. So a level one friendship, right, the the base of the pyramid, uh, are what we could call friends of convenience, right? These are the people that are on uh, your sports team. These are the people you sit next to in class. Uh, You are forced to spend time with them, and you don't dislike them, and so, you know, yeah, you'd consider them friends, And we see this happen uh, in an accelerated form when you go to camp, right? You go to camp, you're forced into a cabin with a bunch of people that you probably don't know, but over the course of the week and doing everything together, you become tight, you become good friends. But then when, when you remove the common thread, when you leave camp, normally those friendships just kind of fade away. But if you were to come the next year all at the same time, that friendship starts right back up again. That's because it's a level one friendship. It's a friendship of convenience, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need those type of friendships. These are the people we work with and do things with. But we also need more than just friends of convenience. 
we need tier two friends or level two friends, which we could call, uh, which, which add to commonality, it adds enjoyment, which is really our litmus test for who our best friends are. It doesn't matter if you have everything in the world in common with someone. If you guys aren't jiving, it's not going to happen. You won't be good friends. It's the deciding factor in our relationships. Do we like and enjoy the other person? I see this every time I play a little get-to-know-you game with people. I will ask them to name three famous people they would like to be friends with. Not their characters, the actual people. And I get a, a, a plethora of answers, but the reason why they pick their answers is almost always the same. It's because deep down there's some intuition that they will like that person, that they would actually enjoy being around them. And whenever we're convinced that we enjoy or like the other person, we're willing to put in the effort into the relationship. Think of your closest friends. I guarantee you it's more than just you have something in common with them that you actually enjoy being in their presence. But when the Bible talks about friendships, it actually adds another dimension to it. It moves it up to level three and adds something extra. And the ancients used to call this extra thing virtue. The idea behind it was that, that the people that you keep as your closest friends help you become the best you. They don't, you don't just enjoy being with them. They actually make you better. They encourage you. They push you. They refine you, which is what we're called to do for each other as believers. And so here's the point. You need all three of them. There's nothing wrong with having level one friendships. We all need them, and you'll have more level ones than level threes, but this whole matrix is needed, is necessary for Christian living, which is the point that our text is trying to make tonight. When the teacher speaks about friendship, he says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so what the teacher is doing here in this passage is he holds up friendship like it's a diamond. If you rotate a diamond, it will look different depending on where you're looking at it. And so he takes friendship like a diamond and he begins to twist it around and see different elements that make it valuable, necessary for life. And so first he holds it up and says, ah, friendship moves the, pers uh, the participants in the same direction toward the same goal. That's his point in verse 9, that they have a good reward for their toils. So uh, when, when we were living in Chicago, Em and a friend were training for a race, and part of their, their run plan was to run a mile and a half and then like walk a distance or whatever. And so they decided they're going to jog this mile and a half and then walk to Coles, which all in all was about five miles. And my job was to come pick them up because they'd be dead tired. And so uh, I started some projects at home and get a call way too soon. I'm like, oh, did you guys give up? It's like, nope, we're at Kohl's. Like, no, you're not. There's no way that you possibly walked that fast. And they didn't walk that fast. They ran that fast. They ran three times farther than they were supposed to. How was this possible? Here's how it went. 
they're running along, they're running along, they get to the mile and a half, and Bea, M's friend, looks at her and says, we can go a little farther. And so they go a little farther, and M, not to be outdone, looks at her and says, we can go a little farther. And this went back and forth, back and forth, until they ran the entire five miles, where they would have only gone a mile and a half if they had run alone. See, one of the things that each of us are called to do, if Jesus is our Savior and King, is to toil after being more like Him. And by ourselves, we can look in the mirror and say, I am doing pretty good. But then when someone comes alongside of you and starts running next to you, they begin to point out, hey, we could be loving Jesus better over here. We could be representing Him better over there. And they push each other to produce a greater reward, to pursue the goal better. So he holds up friendship as a diamond and sees that. But then he twists it, and he says that friendship is essential because not only does it push you, it also picks you up when you stumble and fall. One of the best examples of this uh, I think I've ever seen was um, the summer trip we took when I first moved back here. Uh, We went to Challenge, which is the EFCA's big summer conference that we go to every other year. And one of the students going had broken his foot like a week or so before the conference. And this was a big, tough guy, and so he's got his crutches. He's just going to hobble around Kansas City the whole week. Within two, weeks, uh, two hours of getting there, it was abundantly clear that wasn't going to happen. So we found him a wheelchair, but then the question became, so uh, who's going to push this big football-like guy around in the sweltering 100-degree Kansas City heat? And without missing a beat, one of his friends stepped in and said, I'll do it, and did it with joy the entire week. It would have been a pity if that guy had no one to help him when he fell. See, life is is difficult. It will knock you down. You will stumble and fall. but, But having friends will enable you to get back up. They can encourage you and pick you back up when when life knocks you down. And so it helps us to pursue the same goal, pick each other up. But he turns it again. And he sees that, that uh, in verse 11, that if two lie together, they keep warm. And, and i got to be honest, this is probably the strangest part of the text. But that's because I, I'm reading it with a 21st century brain. Uh, back then, if you were traveling in the desert, it actually got very, very cold at night. And so one of the strategies to survive was to sleep next to someone. And the shared body heat would keep you warm. It would stave off the cold, cruel world. In the same way, friends care for one another. Life is hard. Life is very harsh. And if you're doing it alone, it's a million times worse. And so having a friend by your side, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, 12, to rejoice when you rejoice, to weep when you weep, helps you not only endure, but thrive through life. And this is really just a snapshot of of how the Bible sees friendship playing out. And my guess is that we would all love to have just one friend like that. But the million-dollar question, of course, is how do you get a friend like that? And there's a number of factors that we could explore, but I just want to boil it down to one principle that I think goes a long way. And it's the principle called tit for tat, which means that whatever you do, the other person will reciprocate. So if I am open and honest with Dan, I'm welcoming to him, 
the principle says that he will probably be the same way to me. Same, the opposite is also true. If I am cold and aloof to Dan, he's probably going to respond that way to me. And so to have a friend like we're talking about, you have to be that type of friend. And this is where we get stuck because no one actually wants to put themselves out there. We want to play it safe and let the other person make the first move. We don't want to run the risk of being the one despised and rejected. We don't run, want to run the risk of someone seeing what I'm like beneath the surface. And so we keep it light and superficial and keep everyone else at arm's length. And here's where Jesus changes even the way we go about making friends. Do you realize that Jesus enables us to be friends with one another? Someone once said that uh, what binds us Christians together is not common education, race, income levels, politics, nationality, accents, jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Think about the people in this room. Sure, a couple of them you might have been friends with. They go to your school, they run in the same circles you do, but I guarantee you there are some people here that you would never have a thing in common with if it weren't for Jesus. Jesus enables friendships. But not only does he enable them, he, he um, increases them, he empowers them to move up the friendship matrix. The gold standard of friendships can be found in John 15, 13, which is where Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's the type of friend I would really like to have. One who accepts me, who walks with me thick and thin. And, and Jesus later on goes to point out that he is that to us. He goes in verse 15 to say, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus makes the first move. Jesus shares himself with us. He is humble and loyal towards us, even to death on the cross. But Jesus shares his very life with us. He is our perfect friend. And what that means for us is that it enables us to be friends with others. Because Jesus has made the first move, he's already accepted us, he already knows us, it then frees us up to be the one to make the first move toward others. Because we are secure and accepted in him, we can act that way towards others. We can make the first move. And so here's the point. The point is not that you should be best friends with everybody. That is exhausting to think about and impossible to live out. My point is simply this, to encourage you and to challenge you to use youth group as more than just an hour and a half on Wednesdays, to make it a jumping off point for biblical friendships in your life. And the best way to do that is to be the type of friend you want to have.